something so small yet so deadly. More Americans are dying from drug overdoses than ever before. Illicit pills pour into the country from across the border, but they originate from thousands of miles away. In this special report, we look at how China has weaponized the drug industry, the ways it's impacting every American, and what's being done to stop it. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The deadliest threat facing Americans right now can be found in these little pills. The number one killer of Americans today is fentanyl, and the number one manufacturer is China. In 2021, enough fentanyl was seized by Customs and Border Patrol agents to kill every American nearly seven times over. Drug overdose deaths topped 100,000 last year for the first time. Almost every American knows somebody who's been affected by the opioid threat. Okay, where's that opioid threat coming from? It's coming from China. Fentanyl is almost 100% a product from the CCP. Almost every American knows somebody in the bondage of uh, opioid addiction. The CDC said deaths from fentanyl rose to over 71,000 in 2021. That's up from 57,000 in 2020. Fentanyl is one of the deadliest drugs circulating in the U.S. It can be 50 times more potent than heroin. Let's look at what makes fentanyl so deadly. First of all, it's a highly, highly addictive drug. And um, obviously, it's a, it takes a very, very small amount of fentanyl to overdose. Former ICE special agent and author of Agent Under Fire, Victor Avila, notes that not all pills are made equal. The cartels obviously do not um, care about the amount that they put in each individual pill. So you might have two separate pills that contain fentanyl, one where one person will not die, the other one will. And it's not just dangerous for those consuming the pills. Uh, we have a lot of um, police forces around the country that even being exposed to it by uh, air or by touching it and absorbing it through your system, can you can go into a uh, uh, overdose type of situation. And that's happened a lot to police officers and first responders. A report from the Commission on Combating Synthetic Opioid Trafficking revealed that synthetic opioids were responsible for about two-thirds of drug overdose deaths in 2021. Most of those are attributed to fentanyl. In terms of loss of life and damage to the economy, uh, I think the report said that uh, synthetic opioids have the effect of a slow-motion weapon of mass destruction in the form of a pill. And it's costly. The report estimates overdose deaths cost the U.S. economy a trillion dollars a year. According to the Center for Economics and Business Research, China may overtake the U.S. as the number one ranked economy by 2030. Back to the drug itself, where do these pills come from? And as to how the illicit substances are coming into the country. The number one area is that that U.S.-Mexico border. It is wide open yeah, for any trafficker that wants to bring any illicit smuggling, not just humans and drugs, 
but uh, arms trafficking. There's a lot of cash bulk smuggling, a lot of illicit activity. There's a lot of commercial fraud. There's a lot of pharmaceuticals that a lot of uh, sometimes people don't uh, think about that all the um, the toothpaste that you use. We want to make sure that the toothpaste is the is the right one and not a a counterfeit toothpaste. But before they get to Mexico, where do the drugs actually originate from? In the city of Wuhan, and they send those they send those drugs over to the western port of Mexico called Michoacan, and they use the Mexican drug cartels network to distribute those through North America as well as on its way to Europe as well. Law professor Ronald Reichleck says it's an international problem tied to cartels in Mexico and manufacturers in China. China has a major role in Mexico in conjunction with the cartels as they're the primary producers and uh, providers of the precursors and chemicals to the cartels that produce the methamphetamine and fentanyl. Uh, especially the counterfeit pills. Uh, there's over a hundred super labs in Mexico right now that produce these uh, drugs and that continue to pour into our country, mostly through our southern border. Since 2013, China has been the principal source of the fentanyl flooding the U.S. illicit drug market, fueling the deadliest drug epidemic in U.S. history. Over 107,000 deaths of what I consider poisonings uh, directly related to the cartels. According to the Drug Enforcement Administration, one out of every four pills in this country right now is a counterfeit pill. Many of the victims aren't addicts and may not even realize they're ingesting something deadly. And so you have uh, this, this surge in deaths uh, in the young population, uh, mostly in uh, college-age students, which might not necessarily be drug-addicted uh, or just experimenting with a, a pill. They take one, it happens to be a counterfeit pill full of fentanyl, and they uh, overdose on it. Part of that problem lies in how difficult it is to spot the fakes. It's very difficult. I mean, these counterfeit pills are very well done. These, uh, they call them pill mills. In Mexico, one of the most uh, popular ones is the M30. It's a blue pill. It's probably one of the most that is highly uh, recognized. But um, you have counterfeit pills of Adderall, Oxycontin, uh, you name it, that look exactly like the real one. It's not just fentanyl. Meth is also high on the list. And let's not forget the, the meth. Uh, as I travel around the country, the methamphetamine is a huge impact on a lot of communities, especially when it comes to crime and the, the crime associated with uh, that highly addictive drug. And I've seen it in towns that most people would not expect to uh, the, the meth where it's ending up. And that's uh, states like South Dakota and Montana as well. According to the CDC, deaths from meth rose to nearly 33,000 in 2021. That's up from 24,500 in 2020. But it's not just a threat to economic well-being or to the lives of Americans. The commission says it's also one of the most pressing national security challenges. As the U.S.-China Economic Security Review Commission, or USCC, noted, China is now the primary country of origin for illicit fentanyl and fentanyl-related substances trafficked into the United States. According to the Mexican Defense Department, more fentanyl is getting confiscated by federal agents, too. Seizures of the drug soared by over 500 percent from 2019 to 2021. 
Casey Fleming suggests there's an even darker motive behind the drug trade, saying it's all part of the regime's goal to weaken the U.S. as an adversary. The CCP believes that they should never really have to go to a full-on conflict or, or conventional war because the adversary is weakened so much by hybrid warfare means. And as to the national response. So it's a big, big impact that it has uh, throughout our country, but somehow our elected officials are not getting that picture of the alert. And I, I believe it's a national security and public safety issue because China is directly involved and we know the issues that we have with that country. But how can we defend against the onslaught? Rachel X says the report provided 76 different possible approaches. Understanding the demand for opioids is one of them. But Avila also notes being able to recognize the new risks as a major factor. So it's very hard, I would say, to educate your kids and let them know that this is not the same as 20 years ago where you try to experiment with the drugs that nowadays you're playing Russian roulette with these, with these uh, drugs because even the marijuana is sometimes laced with fentanyl. We have a lot of other drugs, cocaine and heroin, that are laced with uh, fentanyl and causes a lot of issues. Over on Capitol Hill, how will the administration and other leadership address the problem? We've got this, this dichotomy on how we approach things where we're trying to, we recognize it's a, it's a health issue and we're trying to make sure that people uh, are treated for this health issue, but at the same time, we're trying to punish it and stop people from getting involved in it. And that makes it very difficult for criminal law. Rachelek says he believes the current administration will lean towards looking at the issue as a medical problem. He went on to say that in his view, that may be part of the solution. But tightening standards at the border should also be part of it. Avila says starting with the border can help solve the problem in other areas too. Ultimately, it comes down to that. A lot of the, the ripple effect that we see it is coming down to securing the border. It's not just about illegal immigration. It's about the, um, this, this national security issue when it comes to China, when it comes to terrorism. Just like uh, the individuals that want to come in here know that the border is open, so does these special interest groups know that uh, the border is wide open uh, through Mexico. He says stopping it doesn't have to be a complicated process. We don't need to invent new laws. We don't need to pass new legislation. We just need to let our border patrol agents down at the southern border actually enforce our immigration laws, allow them to do that, and implement the policies that were, that were working, like remain in Mexico policy, where individuals will remain on the other side of the border and await their asylum claims. As we know, most of these individuals do not qualify for as asylum um, a rescue. So. There's a lot of things that we could do and implementing that uh, right away in policy would make a great impact. It's just unfortunately that uh, our elected officials are not moving in that direction. Pennsylvania Republican Representative Scott Perry suggests another way to tackle the issue. He's urging the Biden administration to designate the Chinese Communist Party as a transnational criminal organization. Now, people will tell you, well, we can't label a party a transnational criminal organization. Sure we can. Why? What's stopping us from doing this? Well, the party's in control of the country. It's a criminal organization. It's a criminal enterprise. We wouldn't, we wouldn't shirk from our responsibility with the, with the mafia if they, were do, if they were conducting criminal activity in our country and abroad that affects our country. Yet somehow with China, we can't seem to do it. 
Congressman Perry called the Chinese Communist Party a criminal organization involved in illegal acts. Back in October 2020, he introduced a bill to designate the CCP as such and to eliminate sovereign immunity for Chinese officials. That would allow them to be tried in U.S. court for criminal prosecution. The reason is, is that people are greedy and the Chinese market is huge and everybody wants the cash associated with the Chinese market. Sooner or later, we're going to have to deal with the China and their market. At the same time, he makes a clear distinction between the communist regime and the Chinese people living under it. It's not the Chinese people that we have take issue with. It is the communist, the ruling party in China. But they're just a political party and they're conducting criminal activities and somebody needs to do something about it. He says the administration could make the designation on its own, but explained it would be an even stronger measure for Congress to vote on it than send it to the president for signing. Without stemming the tide of the deadliest epidemic in America, more people will fall prey to these tiny pills. It's not just a drug issue or a border issue, but one involving the national security of an entire nation. Until changes happen, the Chinese regime will continue to quietly exert its influence and work towards what some have called weakening the U.S. from within, without even needing to step foot inside our borders. Coming up, dozens of Chinese entrepreneurs and investors are calling for political reform in China. They released a joint letter outlining the changes they believe the country needs, and it's sparking debate. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Now we turn to today's news. An open letter signed by dozens of Chinese entrepreneurs and investors. It calls for political reform in China and lists a number of fundamental social changes. Let's zoom in. An anonymous open letter is circulating in China, stirring up debate. The letter was endorsed by dozens of entrepreneurs and investors, mainly from Shanghai. It says together they hold tens of billions of dollars of investment, but even businesses on this scale are struggling to protect themselves and survive in China's pandemic-stricken economy. They say the country's lockdown experience made them, quote, completely sober and helped them realize that the credibility of China's communist regime has already collapsed. So, facing predicted turmoil, they decided to speak up. In protest, they decided not to obey authorities' instructions to go back to normal productions post-lockdown, saying their companies will resume operations but not production. Frank Shea is a professor in business at University of South Carolina, Aiken. He explained it's hard for businesses to jumpstart production after two months under lockdown, especially because they're coping with broken supply chains. He added that the entrepreneur's strategy is in essence a strike. We see that this is essentially the start of a general strike by the industrial sector, the business sector, the workers, the private capitalists, the people from all walks of life in Shanghai. In fact, they're calling for a longer social strike. Xie said the entrepreneurs are protesting against the regime. A government cannot recklessly close down such a large city, a city of more than 20 million and so many businesses in it, all in a sudden, without any discussion and out of political reasons. 
On top of disobedience in business, the letter also urges for political reform. The goal? To, quote, unshackle economic development from politics. To achieve it, the letter lists a number of fundamental social changes it says should be made, including giving residents permanent rights to their land. Right now, all land in China belongs to the Communist Party. People and businesses merely purchase the right to use the land, normally for a few dozen years. That includes land with residential housing as well as commercial space. The letter also calls for removing bans and on a multi-party governance system and private media platforms. Beyond that, it pushes to eliminate the privileged social class and the hukou system. That's the equivalent of an intra-provincial passport and a tool that makes China's 800 million farmers the target of discrimination. The privileged social class refers to high-level party officials and their families, who often receive special privileges and treatment. The Shanghai industries use strikes to compel the Chinese Communist Party to carry out political reforms and force the CCP to step down from the stage of history. That is, in my opinion, a very positive approach to dismantle the CCP on the civilian level. U.S.-based news service Radio Free Asia managed to contact several of the letter's authors. They say they'll continue to promote the letter's contents, but they requested they remain anonymous for security reasons. One Chinese city is issuing an extreme punishment for spreading COVID-19, the death penalty. The news has sparked a round of questions, including where the new rule came from, Chinese authorities or the court. Here's more. A southwestern border city in China is taking a severe hand to anyone found to spread COVID-19. It targets those who are infected and cross the border into China without permission, or who help someone else who's infected cross. Punishments include fines, the confiscation of property, and even the death penalty. Fangchanggang City issued the notice last week. The news triggered heated discussion on social media. Some say they're for strict COVID-19-related rules, but others questioned if the local authorities have the right to dole out the death penalty over it. One post reads, they need to understand the law in the first place. The power to determine the death penalty is held by the Supreme Court, not a small town's government. The notice and the list of punishments were deleted from local authorities' official social media accounts the following day. It's not the first time Chinese authorities have threatened extreme consequences for violating COVID-19 rules. Last December, in another southern Chinese city called Baise, authorities paraded a couple of residents through the streets as a form of public humiliation after they allegedly violated local COVID-19 restrictions. Police hung signs around their necks displaying their names and photos. Each resident was held by two police officers and surrounded by armed riot police. Olympic gold medalist Eileen Gu has announced she will work for the U.S.'s Salt Lake City bid for the 2030 or 2034 Winter Games. Gu took home two gold and one silver medal competing for China at this year's Winter Olympics in Beijing. Spokesman Tom Kelly, who works for the Salt Lake Bid Committee, told the Associated Press that Gu's participation is confirmed, though she doesn't yet have an exact title. Right now, she's signing on as an athlete representative. Gusai confirmed it at the Time 100 summit earlier this week, referring to herself as an ambassador for the bid. The news immediately sparked buzz in China. 
Still riding Gu's victory for China, some Chinese people have called it unacceptable for Gu to represent the American side so soon. While Gu competed for China the Beijing Winter Olympics, she was born in California. The budding sports superstar is now taking heavy criticism for swapping sides, with many now accusing her of using China to rake in sky-high profits and fame. Gu's attitude has always been fluid when it comes to questions about her allegiance. Ahead of the Beijing Games, she dodged questions about whether she had given up her U.S. citizenship, something China normally requires for athletes with more than one citizenship. She told the media that her goal was to encourage young girls to chase their dreams and that she hoped the U.S. and China could build more cultural communication. According to the New York Post, the young athlete made tens of millions of dollars through Chinese endorsement deals, even before her gold medals. Japan is taking action to counter threats from communist China. Japan is the Indo-Pacific's top U.S. ally and the most technologically advanced country in the region. Now, it's boosting military spending to step up its defenses. Let's see what else is happening. Japan stated Tuesday it would drastically increase defense spending within the next five years. The goal? To counter China's threat to Taiwan. The announcement specifically mentioned threats posed by the Chinese Communist Party and noted a time frame for the new spending. That's different than last year when its annual economic policy document left out mention of Taiwan. The pledge comes after President Biden said the U.S. would defend Taiwan against a possible Chinese attack. China's Communist Party, or CCP, claims self-ruled Taiwan as its own territory and has threatened to forcibly reunite it with mainland China. Beijing has conducted frequent military drills near Taiwan in recent years, including sending fighter jets into the island's air defense zone. That escalation has rung alarms in Tokyo. At their closest, some Japanese islands are only a few hundred miles away from Taiwan and are within range of the CCP's drills. And even more important, if Beijing's forces break through the Taiwan Strait, they could effectively block the sea route for most of Japan's oil supply. Japan spends over 1% of its GDP on its self-defense forces. Even if Tokyo was to double its defense spending, Japan would still rank far behind China, which spends nearly five times more on its military. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.